everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Homer and Applesauce's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin. How you guys doing this week? Good, good. good. Very good. Can I can I complain right off the bat here? Because this about? is a component of how my week went. Okay. The, about the farm report. Oh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Oh, God. I, I need to go on like a specifically structured rant about my experience with the farm report this week. Yep. No, no, no. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't even know what else to say other than I know. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. We'll get to that. Um, Not great. Um, all right. So promote, extend trade. And on today's date back in 1940 uh two brothers richard and maurice they opened up a hamburger restaurant in san bernardino and they called it mcdonald's because that was their name their brothers um so obviously you know mcdonald's turned into a billion dollar worldwide empire it's existed for like 80 something years they've done some stuff right but invariably in like 80 years of business around the world you do some things wrong too so what defunct discontinued mcdonald items that none of us have been even alive to have so it's not like we could have possibly have had any of these things which ones are we going to promote extend or trade first we have the mcdlt and i'm not really sure the point of this but it literally was just a regular burger but it came in styrofoam packaging that had the patty on one side and then the lettuce and tomatoes and like vegetables on the other side. So that Is it like McDo it yourself? I LT? yeah, I don't actually I don't actually know what the DLT I mean, I guess it's McDonald's lettuce tomato, but that doesn't make sense. But I don't know. Huh? Yeah, I know. It was yeah, I don't know. So we have that. Uh the next one is something much more self explanatory, the mixed spaghetti. <laughs> And last but not least is the hula. That's a horrifying thought. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Last but not least is the hula burger, which is literally just a grilled pineapple chunk on a bun. No burger? No, just pineapple. It's not a pineapple on a burger. It's a pineapple sandwich. Yes, it is literally just a pineapple sandwich. What the fuck? The rationale being that people who were vegetarians and Catholics during Lent specifically would... Um, eat a fucking pineapple in place of a burger Mm -hmm. grilled grilled pineapple you know i I, I wish we could have an insight into the board meeting when this was fucking pitched (laughs) how much rips a line of coke because i assume it's the 70s or 80s all right all right we put a pineapple instead of the burger man it's like the uh the meme where the guy gets thrown out of the boardroom meeting at the window yeah, except in this case, it would have been justified. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, I think we're all going to trade the spaghetti. Yeah, that's a horrifying thought. Mm-hmm. The only, like, I want to trade all of them. They all <laughs> well, said, that's, like... That's why they don't exist anymore. Right? At least the, well, I guess... Yeah, the he's McDeal, all blow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The DLT, at least, is still a burger, I guess. Like, you put it together yourself, but it's still ultimately a okay McDonald's hamburger. So Right, right. Extend that, I guess? Yeah, that, that was my rationale also. 
and throw the other two into the sun because <laughs> throw away the pineapple burger. Let's be real. Like you cannot tell me that the pineapples that McDonald's is getting for the Mick pineapple or whatever the fuck it was called <laughs> is our high quality. That's also a good point. Um, good Lord. So, yeah, I mean, the <clears throat> I don't know why the mixed spaghetti um, was discontinued. I mean, I can take a guess because it's a fucking mixed spaghetti. <laughs> and if you look at a picture of it, it looks fucking disgusting. What's the uh, Filipino um, fast food chain that does everything, including its spaghetti, like Jollibee's or Jollibee. something like that? Yeah, yeah, Jollibee. Yeah, they, yeah, they have spaghetti, apparently. I've never tried it. Well, it looked. It looked horrible. The McHula burger was discontinued because the sales were not there. The Hula which... burger, like you, I was intrigued. You're like, oh, because I, 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 I mean, the risk of ruining my New Yorker cred. Like I've come around on the idea of pineapple on pizza. Like pineapple's oh, good. Son of a bitch. Pineapple. It's on pizza. just not a not a protein. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you put the pineapple on a burger, that I'm I there. Could possibly, yeah, I'm like, there for that. Yeah, but just I could, the pineapple. <laughs> just the pineapple. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Well, I mean, that's not a meal. That's no. not anything. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's just a piece of pineapple on bread. Just that's give me the is. pineapple. I don't actually like pineapple on its own, but why with the bread? It doesn't. <laughs> This is bothering me now. I, I was better off not knowing that this has existed. And then, last but not least, <clears throat> the McDLT was discontinued because the styrofoam packaging was causing like more environmental damage than yeah, it was true. worth it. So, yeah. And also, the whole the whole. Also, if you go on YouTube and look, there's a really terrible. Um, McDLT commercial with Jason Alexander like doing a song and dance number. Mm-hmm. Did you ever consider? I mean, I don't get like McDonald's fast food too much, and when I do, I usually just get like nuggets or something. But do either of you guys ever consider like your hamburger being warm and therefore making your lettuce and tomato also warm? Have you ever considered that a problem? No, I've never considered that. Period. Right. Exactly. And now that I sit here and think about it, I want my tomato warm because it'd be weird to just have a cold slice. I think we can all agree we'd like the entire thing to be roughly the same temperature. Right. Mm. Like you don't want if you if you leave it for too long, like I don't want the lettuce cold, but if it's warm for too long, it wilts. You want it like warm, but still crunchy. But that's not enough of a justification <laughs> to go through the fucking McDLT thing here. Like, well, right? apparently in the early '80s it was. They were high yeah. on uh, high on something. High on cocaine and the economy. <clears throat> Thanks, Reagan. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this is just another thing we can blame Ronald Reagan for. You know, <laughs> the McDLT <laughs> destro- destroying the world economy, generally ruining the trajectory of America. The McDLT. Son of a bitch. I don't know which. I've never hated Reagan more than this moment. Yeah, you know, he thought it couldn't get worse, and then. 
<sighs> well, if you want things to get worse, then just wait till a little bit later in this podcast, listeners. Before we jump into the actual com- uh, con- uh, content this week, can I shout someone who oh, tweeted at me? Sure, sure. Uh, user at David Love 26. I don't know why he was at the Columbia PhD commencement, <laughs> but apparently he heard my name and tweeted at me about it. So thanks, David. Appreciate it. Assuming you're a listener, because I don't know how else you'd know me. The name sounds familiar, so I believe that is a listener, a common reply person in the tweets. Nice. <clears throat> if you were getting a degree or someone you know is getting a degree, congrats to you. <laughs> Would you recommend someone get a degree? Um, I have a very long and complicated answer to that question that is not worth the, the time it would take. Mm. All right, so uh, we'll shift now to our way to early draft updates. Um, this week, my guy, Cole Carrig, uh he plays for San Diego State University. The Aztecs played three games this week over the weekend against Air Force. Uh, Friday's game, they lost 4-2. Kurig went 2-5. for five. Uh, Both of them were singles, and then he stole a base. And Saturday's game, the Aztecs won 5-4. He went 1-4 for four with a double and three strikeouts. And then because Air Force Academy is in Colorado, they're a couple of hours back, so they haven't uh, started their Sunday game yet. So that's all there is for Kurig for this week. Two games, 3-9 for nine with a double, stolen base. And three strikeouts. Uh, a good week for him, I guess, given everything that's that's his season has been, the disappointment that it's been. And on the season, he's currently hitting 321, 372, 496, with seven doubles, five triples, two home runs, uh, 12 steals in 35 games, and eight walks to 22 strikeouts. Um, Ken. <clears throat> Miami third baseman Yohanji Morales. How how did his week go down? Uh, pretty great. He played four games. Uh, one against someone called Presbyterian, one against FIU, and two at Pittsburgh. And uh, he went ten for seventeen with two dingers, which is a five eighty eight batting average, six eleven OBP, and nine forty one slugging for the week. So, yeah, pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did strike out three times and walk zero times, but I think you'll take that given everything else. And uh, he's currently up to 395, 463, 654 on the season with uh, just under 20% strikeout rate and about 11% walk rate. Uh, so I'd pretty... say continuing to trend upward, but um, it looks like he might be in play. To the Mets at uh, around 30. Pretty good for a guy who's, like, major red flag supposedly was the strikeouts. I mean, a, a power hitter like he is with a strikeout rate around 20%, like, I'll take that. Yep. Even in, even in college, you know. This is uh, pretty much the line you would have hoped. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you'd <laughs> like it to be a little lower against this level of competition. But, um, you know, again, given the power, you want him to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... All right, and last this week is uh, Lucas, and you have MSU outfielder Colton Ledbetter. So Ledbetter had a bit of a down week. Uh, he went, uh, let me count, 
oh god, I wish this header would stay in place. He was two for twelve in three games. He had a homer, uh, a walk, struck out four times, uh, and also he failed to reach base for only the third time in a game this season. In a game on my birthday, of course. So thanks, <laughs> thanks, Colton. I appreciate it. Um, on the season, he's still batting 315, 447, 586. So my level of concern is approximately zero. If anything, this is almost what I wanted to happen in that he's cooling off a little bit right when teams are going to be in heavy on guys. And maybe that leaves him to, to float down the board a little bit. Um, he was not in Baseball America's most recent first round mock draft. So, yeah, I was going to talk about that. Yep. Yep. Uh, I won't steal your thunder too much there, but he did not appear in the first round, so still potentially in play for the Mets at 32. And and I mean, I'm not going to overanalyze one so so weak. I mean, he still hit a homer, so things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Baseball America they had their second mock draft for this season. Um, <clears throat> Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, both from LSU, were number one and number two. Not surprising. You know, Cruz is hitting – this is an insane line. Like, he's hitting 438, 594, 757, 13 homers, two stolen bases, <laughs> 54 walks to 27 strikeouts in 50 games. That's – that'll play. I think Cruz is literally the best 1-1 prospect since Bryce Harper. It It feels like it. And then Skeens, on the pitching side, he has a 170 ERA in 79.2 innings over 13 starts with 46 hits allowed, 14 walks, and 152 strikeouts. So, you know, them being number one and number two, that's completely unsurprising. And LSU is somehow not the best team in the country. Yeah, Wake, I know. Wake Forest is better, which is just wild. I mean, I guess uh, baseball is not uh, basketball. You can rely on one star. Um, Johanji Morales, Ken's player. They have him um, being selected number 15 overall by the White Sox. <clears throat> That's up a couple of spots from when they predicted him to be selected 18. Um, they had the Brewers taking him 18 with their first mock draft. Um, my follow, Cole Carrig. Thomas's follow, uh, high school shortstop, Rockolowski, and very surprisingly, Lucas's follow, Colton Ledbetter, not in consideration for the first round. Um, my guy not being in consideration, Carrig, okay, that makes sense to me because he's he was very borderline. first. Actually, he was never first-round talent to begin with. He was like on the cusp, you know, a couple of picks after the first round ended. So him not being in consideration makes sense. Same thing with Rockolowski. Um it is surprising, though, that, that Ledbetter has not hit himself into the back end of the uh, first round, though. I am I, I think there's a really good chance that a more analytically inclined team, Orioles or, and Brewers are the ones that really come to mind, maybe the Yankees, um, takes him and it appears to be a reach, but I, I think the profile really plays to what those teams like. Um, but baseball America knows more than I do, of course, at this point. So, yep. So, what do we have? We have about two months before the draft, and about a month left of college baseball. So, things can uh, a lot 
I can change. <clears throat> All right. Um, I guess that was the positive part of our podcast. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, well, after this break, we are going to review the Mets um, affiliate and, and their week. And if and if anyone wants to just log off now, shut this podcast off now, I, I completely understand. I, I would almost encourage you to do it. You know, like, save yourself the pain. Oh, there's, there's a lot of pain. If you're masochist, then stay with us. Alrighty. So, the Syracuse Mets. Um, they played a series against the Buffalo Bisons this week. Bisons are the uh, Toronto Blue Jays AAA affiliate. It was a bad week for Syracuse. I think it's putting it lightly. <clears throat> they went one and five against them, so it's their second week in a row now where they went one and five. Um, the thing is, though, these weren't just losses. These are terrible, demoralizing, horrible losses. On Tuesday, they allowed a run in the bottom of the tenth inning in extras, and they lost ten to nine. On Thursday, they allowed four runs in the bottom of the ninth inning and lost six to five. On Friday, for the second day in a freaking row, they allowed four runs in the bottom of the ninth, and they lost eight to six. On Saturday, they allowed two runs in the bottom of the ninth and lost eight to seven. And it's like a loss is a loss at the end of the day, but these losses just really like suck. And and for the players, I'm sure it sucks for the players. But do you guys know how much it sucks for us to look and to be like, okay? Syracuse has a, a kind of a you know a, an eight to six um, margin of error that looks like they're gonna win. I'm just gonna go take a quick shower. I'm just gonna go make something to eat real quick, and then you come back to the game, and all of a sudden, just everything is just flipped, and you thought you're gonna be writing a happy recap, and all of a sudden, you're just banging your head on a wall, on a table, you're smashing your computer. Yep. Lucas, unfortunately, um, got to recap three of these losses. In a row. In a row. <laughs> and this is I, just the start. This is just I, the start. I did the Wednesday. So, so to contextualize this for <laughs> our listeners, I usually do the Thursday recap, which is Wednesday games, and the Saturday recap, which is Friday games. Is that correct? No. This, I don't know. Whatever. Usually I do two days separated by one, but Tom, our good friend Thomas is in Toronto this weekend, I think, or something like that. Um, which meant I had to do three days in a row, and Syracuse blew the lead on all three days in the ninth. But don't. But wait, there's more. Yes. Oh, there's more. Don't worry. Billy Mays here. Yeah. So anyway, um, with that, with their one win and their five losses this week, um. Syracuse is 16 and 23, so they are 13 games behind the Norfolk Tides, and they are ninth place in the, in, in the International League East. They are just a half game in front of the Rochester Red Wings for uh, worst team in the division. So that's Syracuse. Moving on to Binghamton, uh, the Rumble Ponies. <clears throat> they played the Hartford Yard Goats, um, which is the Rockies Double A affiliate. They went three and four on the week. Uh, that's good to put that in context for this week. They went three and four, and that's really good. Uh, they played seven games instead of six this week because they had a doubleheader uh, from a postponement at the end of April they made up this week. So Binghamton is 14 and 18 on the season. That is eight games behind uh, Portland Sea Dogs for first place. 
And just like Syracuse, a lot of these games, a lot of these losses were really bad losses. On Tuesday, they allowed six runs in the ninth inning, and they lost 11-9. to On Thursday, they allowed two runs in the ninth inning to tie the game, and they allowed a run in the 11th inning, and they lost 4-3. Uh, Friday, they allowed three runs in the ninth, and they lost 10-3. Friday, it just, it just on and on and on. It is just bad. The, yep. you, you guys remember the podcast that we did like either a little bit before the season started or like a little bit after the season started. And we were talking about, you know, what possible relief pitchers could contribute to the Mets in double A AA or triple A. As you can see, there is no one. Nope. <laughs> Zilch. Nada. Zero. Ah, uh, not good. Brooklyn Cyclones. <clears throat> they played the Wilmington Blue Rocks, and that's the Nationals' high affiliate. They also played seven games this week, making up uh, a rain um, postponement from late uh, Excuse me, late April. And Brooklyn went two and five on the week, so that leaves them at eleven and nineteen on the season, which is still dead last in the South Atlantic League North. And eight and a half games behind the Hudson Valley Renegades. Continuing the trend, Cyclones had some bullpen problems. On Friday, Wilmington scored two runs in the bottom of the ninth to win 8-7. After the Cyclones scored three runs in the top of the inning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday, uh, the Blue Rocks scored one in the bottom of the ninth to walk it off. And in today's game, Sunday... The Blue Rocks scored a run in the bottom of the eighth to break the tie that they had with Brooklyn and eventually win. So not, you know, not a ninth inning loss, uh, walk off, excuse me, but eighth inning, close enough. And uh, it's not like, what are we supposed to say? Yes, I don't know. I don't know. And finally, the St. Lucie Mets. They played the Daytona Daytona Tortugas. That's a tongue twister. The Daytona Tortugas. Um, The Tortugas are the Cincinnati Reds single-A affiliate. And St. Lucie went 1-4 against them. Uh, The last game of this series is starting up basically right now as we're starting to record. So we're not going to factor that in. But if they win that game, they lose that game, whatever, it's still a bad week. You know, if they go 2-4 or 1-5, that doesn't really make much of a difference. Um, they're also getting blown out in a lot of these games. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, I don't know if it's good or I don't know if it's bad, but basically all of the losses are like nothing close. I mean, what would, I guess I'd rather see these blowouts than the bullpen blow things in like the little last minute of the game. So, mm-hmm. but there's still time. We could see what happens in, in tonight's game. Never say never, you know? Yeah. Um, so St. Lucie is, they are 8-24 and 24 as we speak. They are in last place in the Florida State League East. They are dead last in the Florida State League period. And there's actually only one other team in all three single-A leagues. That's worse than St. Lucie. The uh, poor lowly Stockton Ports, which is, surprise, surprise, Oakland's team over in the California League. They are the only team that's worse than St. Lucie. 
Um, not that it matters. St. Lucie is 11 and a half games back uh, behind the Palm Beach Cardinals. They, we have to do, we have to look at things on a positive note, though. St. Lucie does not have a magic elimination number yet. There is a month and a half, two months or so, whatever, left in the first half. So maybe they make up that uh, 11 and a half game deficit. Yeah. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have money down on that one, but it is a possibility. Statistically, it could happen. Let me so, ask this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Are you guys concerned? And I don't mean about the win-loss record, because who actually gives a shit about wins and losses in the minor leagues? Unless you're Sandy Alderson circle like 2015. Um, we thought the team was getting better in terms of developmental pipeline, in terms of actually having a, a functional talent dev operation. And evaluating that based on wins and losses isn't the way to go, but at some point it does become slightly instructive and it's bad. I I know we touched on this last week a little bit, you know, it's we're in year two or year three, I forget whatever of like the Cohen era and you got to give time for people to get hired and for them to start working their, their magic and whatever else. So, but all that said, yes, I, I, I'm a concerned, I'm concerned, not a lot, but I'm, I'm starting to get concerned about individual players more so than the system as a whole and how things are trending. There are players that I would have expected to, to, to be doing better than they are mm-hmm. at this point. Most notably, I would say Kevin Parada. And Alex Ramirez on the hitting side, and Blade Tidwell and Dominic Hamill on the pitching side. Yeah. And, you know, those guys are, I'm not going to say struggling because that's not the right word to use, but they are not doing as well as one would have hoped. And in some of their cases, specifically Ramirez and Hamill because they were in the system last year, whereas Tidwell and Prada really weren't. We're not seeing steps being taken forward, which to tie it back to the beginning is where you would start seeing, I guess, the evidence of like, you know, a a competent uh, developmental system in place. Like where are the developmental gains that we've seen this year? Who's who's actually taken a notable step forward? Which is also a question I think we asked last week, but like yeah, <laughs> I mean I I would say Mike Vassell. I'm um, yeah Mike Vassell, who's off to a very good start. Um, sure. But outside of him, I'm. Parada's still doing the weird hand thing. Yeah, Ramirez is still doing the weird bat thing. It's like I don't know. Jacob Reimer is still beating the ball into the ground. Like these are all, there are complicated pitch develop. There, there are complicated developmental things that I would not expect the Mets to be good at yet. Like I'm not expecting them to take Maddox Bruns and fix his control or something, like the Dodgers do. But 
there are layups. Like teams, teams have figured out how to improve ground ball rates and for hitters and do some basic pitch design and improve command to an extent. And the Mets can't even do that. <laughs> I, I will say, I guess in their, I mean, I'm not to say in their defense or just to, in the broader context of things, we are talking basically about a month, month and a half or so of, of baseball development. In Reimer's case, you know, <clears throat> he was a newly drafted player, so I could I could see a team just kind of giving him some leeway to just let's just see how he does things his way before we step in and start fiddling with things. Mm-hmm. And in Parada's case and Ramirez's case, they both had a track record of making it work with those weird hitches in their uh, stances and everything. So again, I could see the team saying, okay, well, they've succeeded up to this point doing what they do. Let's not step in and start fiddling with things until we have to, you know, and, and that, mm-hmm. that, that raises the question. Okay. Or now we starting to get to the point where, okay, we have to, and then do the Mets have the capacity to improve on things that they touch, which is, a big question mark at this point, given there's no track record, really. And obviously, it's all also amplified by the fact that just literally everything that can go wrong is currently going wrong. Yeah, bad, bad vibes for the org as a whole this year. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like at the, like the major league level, like everyone is just seeming to slump at the end and and just kind of suck at the same time. Similar, you know, if we, ha- I mean, I, we'll we'll get to Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos in a minute or two. Obviously, those guys are are not slumping, but those are kind of the exception to the rule. Uh, you know, everybody else um, is really not doing particularly well. Yeah, and you know. If it was just one or two guys that, you know, if Blade Tidwell was the only one that was kind of struggling, it would be easy to not forget about it, but it'd be easy to downplay that if everyone else was doing well. If Kevin Prada was the only guy who was not really hitting too well, we could say, okay, well, everyone else is, you know, he'll he'll figure out what he has to figure out. When everybody is doing that at the same time, not great. Stanley Consuegra is the only other guy I would say that's doing well in the system right now. Yeah, I mean, even even Jet's been a little bit slow, and he's he got hit in the hand, I think, a while, a little while ago. So, like his his hot start has cooled down certainly. So I I don't know. I I, I keep trying to as I watch my Sixers just absolutely fall to pieces here. Like try to find something positive for the team right now, and it's like I don't know what there is. So. Well, let's let's shift our focus to the two things that <clears throat> are the, the only positives right now, I guess. Mark Vientos and Ronnie Mauricio. Um, through 37 games now, so that's about a third of the season. We're starting mm-hmm. to, we're bit, you know, minor league season is about 120 games, give or take. So, uh, through 37 games, Vientos is hitting 331. 416, 676, with 11 doubles, no triples, 12 home runs, no stolen bases, 
and 19 walks to 33 strikeouts. Ryan Mauricio, through 39 games, is currently hitting 353, 389, 622, with 17 doubles, two triples, seven home runs, eight steals and 12 attempts, and eight walks to 27 strikeouts. Um, the I don't want to say lone bright spots because there are some other players that are doing well, but they don't, you know, especially in Syracuse. But they're not guys that like factor into anything either developmentally or whatever. So, you know, it's kind of hard to get excited about Jonathan Araruz or you know Lorenzo Cedrolo. You know, I'm struggling to contain my overwhelming excitement for these players. Danny Mendick. Ooh. I forgot but, about Danny Mendick, honestly. Hmm. Um, but you know, obviously the Mets are struggling right now. I don't know. Are they under five hundred or are they at five hundred? Uh, I think they're like one game under five hundred right something now. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's not. It's not great. It's definitely not where we expected them to be. They they lost three two to the Nationals to fall to nineteen and twenty one, and they're currently losing one nothing in the second game. Mm. Like <laughs> to the fucking Nationals who are not trying. So it's uh, not good. The offense has had some major problems. There's a lot of roster spots where they're not get the Mets are not getting much. Do you want to guess how many Mets in the lineup right now have an OPS over 700? Over 700. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you start over 800. Guess for over 800. 800, I would say nobody. Uh, two. Brandon Nemo and Pete Alonso. Oh, yeah. Alonso's all the way down to 836. Like, he's been bad for a couple weeks. How many over 700? I'm going to say three. Four. Mm. Those two, McNeil and Lindor. Okay, that's what I figured. I, I wasn't sure about Lindor, but... Mm-hmm. Starling Marte has a 581 OPS. Tommy Pham has a 682 OPS. Mark Canna has a 674 OPS. Like, Marte is the big one, though. Like, Why is Marte still playing? I don't know. So, But obviously, the Mets have these two guys in... Triple A, I think Vientos is 23 and Mauricio is 21 or 22 and 21. Regardless, they are still young. They are, in particularly in Vientos's case, who's who's spent more time in Triple A, showing that there's really not that much left. That that Triple A pitching is not really that much of a challenge at this point in time. There's clearly a need for the Mets to get injected with some sort of offense. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. So, I mean, it, there's a couple of, you, you can't just be like, yeah, just get rid of these bombs and, and bring up Mauricio and Vientos. Like, there are some questions. Who do you remove from the Mets roster to clear a spot for Vientos, Mauricio, or possibly both? Uh, I think this is actually a pretty easy answer. You, I.L. I think, Marte. Right, Okay. You put Marte on the IL, you, and then either you directly call up. I think you have to actually make a couple moves. So, like you IL Marte, you go find a platoon lefty outfielder, and 
Well, the name I keep throwing out there is Dominique Canzone. He's on the Diamondbacks. He's a lefty hitter who's pretty good and is totally blocked. You acquire that sort of guy. You put him on the bench and platoon him with Fam, and then you release Escobar and replace him with with Vientos. And I yes. guess if you want to simplify that, you just release Escobar and replace him with Vientos straight up. Like just just do that to start. Like do something. That is the most obvious thing to me. I think is is releasing Escobar. I mean, he has some. Utility as a switch hitter off the bench. Uh, but, he can't hit. Right. Well, I was say, but I mean, he's just doing so bad that it's just you're getting nothing from that roster spot. You're, and and it's not like he can play defense either. He's a bad defender at third base, and the one time they put him at second, it looked like a freaking disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure that Mark Vientos is a worse defender at third base than uh, uh, Eduardo Escobar at this point. Probably not. I mean, I have to admit, I really don't remember the last time I saw Escobar playing third base, which is a good thing, I guess. Yes. Um, But, I mean, Vientos' biggest issue is just the range. And I'm sure, given his build and his age and everything like that 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 was the main issue with escobar as well is the range so yeah i mean at this point escobar's range numbers are among the worst uh, Mm -hmm. for third baseman in baseball like yeah so you wouldn't be (laughs) you're not uh, sacrificing defense there what are you giving back exactly like (laughs) and anyway i mean brett Beatty is the entrenched third baseman and he's done nothing, you know, he's slumped a little bit the last week or last two weeks, whatever it's been, but not badly enough that it warrants saying, okay, we're going to remove Beatty and install Vientos as the starting third baseman going forward, which now brings up a second question. Okay, let's say you do bring up Vientos or Mauricio. How is playing time going to get divvied up so that either one of those guys or possibly both, if they both get called up? are getting the at-bats that they need. Because as we saw with Alvarez and as we saw with Beatty this year and last year, when they're getting little bits of playing time, they kind of you know, were struggling. They weren't really able to get into the groove. And then once they did start getting regular playing time and were getting regular at-bats, they started producing. You know, Is it worth calling up either one of these guys and then they're just kind of languishing on the bench? Like, I... Or, or getting, you know, in in Vientos's case, getting slotted into, you know, a, a couple of at bats, you know, as a platoon DH or whatever, you know. This is the, this is the other reason, like, you, why you can't have Buck Showalter as your manager, right? Like <laughs> that too. Among other many problems, like there's no reason. Well, I'll, I'll say two things here. Um, like, first off, there's no reason you can't have Mark Vientos on this roster playing a short side uh, platoon DH role, and then also getting two starts somewhere on the diamond every week. Like, so he'll play four days a week. That's something you can do. That's not something Buck Showalter can do, but it's something a marginally competent manager could do. So this shouldn't even be a question. But it is, because we're stuck with <laughs> Buck Showalter. Um, more to your point, I don't really care about managing their at-bats as much as I did for Beatty and Alvarez because I don't think Mauricio and Vientos are starters long-term, right? They are 
to me, just pure bench utility players or trade bait. Um, so you use them in the role that you most need them for, which for the Mets right now is a bench role. Mm-hmm. Beatty and, and Alvarez are long-term fixtures. I'm not wasting them on the bench and potentially stunting their development. And then the biggest question, I think, to me, the most obviously also like open-ended thing <clears throat> is I, I see a lot of people clamoring, you know, to rightfully so to, to call one or both of these guys up, give them a chance, breathe some new life into the team. Maybe they are the spark that lights on kind of fire, whatever, all possibilities. But let's say that, you know, okay, we 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 trade Vogel back to get Viento some more at bats. We release Eduardo Escobar. Or we we get rid of Marcana. These guys suck. Whatever. You know what contingencies are there that if Vientos or Mauricio get called up and they suck and then they have to get optioned back down, all of a sudden like this this roster spot doesn't just become a long term black hole of just nothingness. Kind of like how catcher has been for so long. The last couple of years with, you know, uh, Nito and McCann, you know. I mean, counterpoint, the options you're talking about are not long-term fixtures either, and they suck now, so. Right, but I'm just saying, like, if you trade Vogelbach, which I'm not in favor of, it's, you know, even though he's not doing. He's got, like, a 130 way to run traded plus. Right, well, I mean, he, right, but he's hitting, like, 230 or something, and he's not really hitting for power. It's it's mostly fueled by on OBP, which a lot of people are, are annoyed about or whatever. You know, but if you, if you trade a guy like him or if you if you trade a Mark Canna or, or just jettison him into the sun, whatever, like, it's just, you, you, and I'm not directing this at you guys specifically, just kind of saying like to a lot of the people, and I don't think that the people that are listening to this podcast are those people just clamoring for this, so it's probably we're wasting our breath or whatever anyway. But, you know, like every roster move has a impact on, on other things. And, you know, if you, you trade a Vogel back and then you bring up a Vientos or a Mauricio, you know, both these guys, Mauricio and Vientos, are very volatile hitters, I, I guess is a nice way of putting it, I guess. Yeah, the likelihood of them flaming out and and doing very poorly is very high. And, you know, you give them the chance and that happens and then you have to send them back down. It's like, oh, shit, now we don't have Vogel back anymore. Now we don't have Canna anymore. Now we don't even have Eduardo Escobar anymore, whatever. You know, there's as we've gone over, there's really... Um, not too many options in AAA. There are a few more on the hitting side than the pitching side, but it's just it's just problematic that there's so much wrong with this team that you can't even gamble on on a spot or two because that could have a chain reaction of just making the team a lot worse, and they are pretty bad right now. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to be. With, with the like mainstay players they have, I think it's tough to be worse than they are right now. I, I don't know. Like no, I, I don't, I'm not. I don't. Anyone who's like advocating for dumping Kana or Volgabach outright, I think, is wrong. But but like Escobar is is cooked, and Starling Marte very clearly needs an IL stint. Like there are 
easily spots open. And I don't know why the Mets are so stubborn in in not recognizing these realities. I forgot also, you know, Pham and Luis Guillorme. I've seen people, especially Guillorme and how he's kind of struck out or uh, has not succeeded in some high-profile spots in the last two or three games or days or whatever it's been. I've seen a lot of clamoring for the team to get rid of him as well, which is silliness because we love Luis Guillorme on this podcast. Yeah, you need a you need some sort of. I guess you don't because that's because Lindor plays every day, but I think you'd like to have some sort of backup shortstop on the roster, and who the hell else is it if not Guillorme? I mean, you could bring up you could bring up Guillorme, swap out Guillorme and Mauricio. Yeah, I guess. I mean, look, the positional from the positional element, it's it's a lot easier to get Mauricio on this roster, but I just don't think he's good. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's what like I you was could very, you could you could rather than the gymnastics I suggest for Marte with Vientos, you just IL um, IL Marte call up Mauricio, put McNeil in the outfield. Right, and then you could option. You could then also option Esco, uh, Guillaume and and call up Vientos if you wanted more thump off the bench. Um, so th- there are things to do here. And as usual, the Mets are slow to react. Slow. Which we thought, like I honestly thought they had moved past this, right? I thought they had a really nice offseason making these sort of marginal churning moves. They built out some good pitching depth, and now they've got just an insane rash of injuries. Like, I'm not going to hold that against them. <laughs> Shit happens. But, like, the pattern of behavior seemed to have improved, and now we're right back to, nah. Like, dude. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the mar- these marginal kind of bench moves, exactly, you know. Well, that's why they are under 500 by two games. Just, just terrible. Just depressing all around. Well, I don't know. But, I mean, it can't get much worse. I mean, it can, but realistically, it can't. Now, this is the Mets. Again, it can always get worse. Mets. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm happy that I'm not the one who has to figure these things out. But if I was, I'd be pretty probably be getting paid a lot more money so that's true maybe i do wish i was the one that had to figure these things out and realistically like, there's no accountability in baseball anyway so <laughs> it's not like Why? guys not like guys get fired every year for this sort of shit yeah okay if billy upley brings us otani all will be forgiven but, well hey that gives some positional vol- versatility there uh-huh <clears throat> I mean, that is the solution to everything. Just sign Otani. Yep. All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at said Mets season SZN. 
subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from rate and view it and of course we thank you for listening and as a reminder we are now uh, patreon based so if you like our podcast or if you like any of the other ones that are in the home run apple network you can subscribe for just five dollars a month and you'll get extra stuff like bonus content and and bonus episodes and all kinds of other good things so we will be back next week and until then love the mets Thank you.